This is Dr. Jeff Meldrum, and you're listening to the Paranomaly Zone. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen. It does happen. A ghostly apparition in the dark of night. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, that's his Hey there, fellow zoners and paranormal ponderers. You are in the Paranomaly Zone, your weekly dose of all things, you guessed it, paranormal, strange, and mysterious. My name is Patrick Koffenberg, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host with the ghosts, the paranormal poster boy himself, the coughing violently and having to deal with a vulgar future wife in the background, Mike (laughs) Carbno. How you doing there, yeah. Mike? Uh, it's good to see you. It's Monday. It's uh, approximately four twelve in the afternoon, and we're getting this done. This is take yeah, two, take two, or no, actually, technically take three. Exactly. Yes, I screwed up the first time. Technically, it was screwed up the other night, and then today is just going to work. It's going to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me clarify <clears throat> to everyone: you did not screw up on Friday. It was very le- it was very legit, very legit yeah. reasons for uh very uh, postponing and then our second attempt if anything was to blame it was the internet and yes. um and then I quite frankly got flustered and I said I I don't want to try it anymore. You said you lost your podcast mojo. I lost my podcast mojo. It was yeah. And then, yeah. And that does happen to Patrick at times. It, does. And it happens to me. Well, well, you know, we're sitting there. I'm, we're stoked. We're hyped. We're ready to go. I'm ready to spew forth all sorts of wonderful info. <laughs> Hopefully, wonderful, uh, useful, um, informative. Hey, yeah, how about that? Informative info. That's really redundant. Yes. Really redundant. So uh, I'm off to a rip roaring start. But uh, this is take three, and it is going to work. I am no longer flustered. My mojo is back. So let's do yeah. it. Let's that- and I'm back to- together. Um, I you know, I, and and I'm not going to talk about it on air. No, 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 it's no. It's just no, no. you know, it'll it, you know, it'll be there's you know, stuff comes out eventually. But I I just want to catch my brother up on everything. Oh sure, no, I, and, I uh, understand. And we're all meeting for for supper on Thursday, I believe. So Steve, the great supporter that he is of the show and the uh, everything that has to do with the podcast, we will be having dinner together <laughs> okay <laughs> that sounds great <laughs> so so is this how you is this how you speak to him is through the podcast only <laughs> yeah well you know because then we're sitting there eating dinner i'll have to write a little note saying did you hear what i said on the last podcast ah. because talking we don't do okay and so yeah. even if you do like meet up in person you actually pull out like your iphone and play the podcast for him <laughs> no sticky notes oh sticky notes okay yeah i thought you'd like sit down and say steve i have something important to tell you and then you press play and then yeah. here, here you go on the podcast. So yeah, that's but good. That's good. That you guys a, lot of, a lot of changes, a lot of developments in my story. And it's just, you know, same old stuff. 
stuff added to it. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but you're a soldier and you're going to fo- you're going to soldier forth as my soldiering days are over. Well, no, once a soldier, always a soldier. Even <laughs> yes, if you that's true. even if you reside most of the time from the your the confines of your comfy couch now because of yeah, physical uh, limitations know. and uh, through no fault of your own obviously, but that is true. But again, Mike, uh thanks for making this work. Like I said, yeah. it is Monday. It is now a quarter after 4. In the afternoon, January sixteenth. Yeah, let's let let's let's do this. Um, yeah, and it's snowing here a lot. Are you getting any snow over there? It just did start snowing about a half an hour ago. So and it, it yeah. snowed earlier today, uh, maybe like a half an inch, not even. Yeah, but, uh, we'll yeah. see how that goes. Uh, enough of that. Let's let's push on. Yeah, I know. Do you got anything else you want to throw out there? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, let's just start talking for about thirty seconds, okay. and I'll throw something. Up. Okay. What what do you want? <laughs> do you have a new shampoo that you'd like to promote? Um, new. Okay. Any canned foods that uh, you are offering? Uh, any, anything? Nothing. Okay. Well, I do have this can of emerald shelled walnuts that I've shown to you before. That is true. <laughs> But I don't think it's walnuts in there anymore. It's something that has probably changed. Uh, it is. Yeah, it's a very, very old can. Yeah, it, it's um, it's gone through changes, sort of like the Mogwai does in this cocoon. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's yeah. just changed uh, totally to a different form of life somehow. But um, yeah. Anyhow. And it starts talking. There's the Tony Randall voice again. There it is. That's right. And thank you to Angela for pointing out that hey, yes. hey. You know, I know who Tony Randall is. Give your your listeners a little more credit. Yeah, and she's quite young, it seems like. Yeah, and I and, and I pointed out too, very politely and respectfully, I said, I think I did correct myself in the last episode, or you know, where I immediately I correct know. myself and said, like, you know, I think I'm cutting our listeners short a little bit by assuming that none of them knew who yeah. Tony Randall. We was. have great and awesome listeners, so all of them. All we of can't them. go wrong with them. Well, Mike, this is part two of our new it is. sub-series, Bigfoot Encounters. Uh, this one is is going for, a, no pun intended, a biggie here. Um, not Ron Moorhead's biggie, but uh, probably the most famous example of, quote-unquote, Bigfoot slash Sasquatch evidence. Yeah, we're going to be focusing on not only the Patterson film, but we're going to be talking about the men behind the Gimlin film as well. Yes, we're going to be talking about the, the <laughs> men behind that film, Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin. Um, we're going to save all the scientific semantics and all that good stuff. We're not going to break down all the details frame by frame of this. I mean, well, it is infamous. Um, you and I, I think our listeners know, we are firm believers that this is legit. Um, Absolutely. Always have been. Have you ever had any doubt at all, Mike, about the Patterson I film? I don't. I don't think that I have. I mean, you know, like when I first saw it as a little kid, <clears throat> it was like, wow, I wonder if that could be true. But then, you know, you see it so many times and you look for it and research it and you really get into the whole story. And yeah, there's there's no doubt in my mind. I remember you saying on some, it might have been a Patreon episode. I, I, I guess I don't remember exactly. But didn't you say that you saw it? Or you saw someone talking about it on like a, a talk show or a, or a, it wasn't like a late night show or when the hell did you first see that? Or do you not recall? I don't recall that one. I, I know that I was watching something in the seventies. Um, it would have been like an in search of, you know, like we've talked about before. Oh, some yeah. of the, Oh yeah. Of course. The original neat old series from back then. Yeah, absolutely. And this, <clears throat> this, you can't get more, um, 
famous, more analyzed, uh, you know, again, frame by frame, this thing is just, it stood the test of time. No matter how much people want to debunk it, uh, it hasn't been debunked. It hasn't been uh, proven either real or hoax. And to me, right. that adds uh, legitimacy to it just because, you know, over 55 years, well, shit, well past that now. What? No, going on 55 years now. Cheap sure. creepers. Um, just over 55 years. Yeah, it was last October. It was the 55th anniversary. So, yeah. Man. You know, actually, the very first time I might have witnessed that story was could have actually been from a weekly world news back in like, <laughs> like good you know, old the weekly early, world early news. 70s. You know, and then when there were stories like that in those types of newspapers, you know, a lot of people just really, you know, the legitimacy for a lot of people just went out the window. Oh, of course, yeah. You know, Especially when it takes like it, it takes the back seat to to Bat Boy or whatever the hell else. Exactly, it's on, yeah. It's on the cover of the wonderful <laughs> Weekly World News. Yeah. Um, God, where do we begin? This is such a. I I mean, the story <clears throat> is timeless. Obviously, let's just talk a little bit about the the men themselves, Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin. Um, Only one is left with us. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, Roger passed away in 1972. Going to say quite some time ago. Yeah, he was still a fairly young man. Passed away <clears throat> yeah. from from the devil cancer. The, uh, sadly, um, went to his dying day. You know, defending what he filmed, what he saw. Well, let's talk about Roger for a little bit. Um, yeah, he was a uh, rodeo hand. I guess he was a very mm -hmm. experienced rodeo man. In between jobs during the time of this recording, um. I want to throw out a real quick plug. If no one else out there right now has bought, purchased this book, I can't recommend Jeff Meldrum's Sasquatch When Legend Meets Science enough. I have just devoured that book over the last week and a half, Mike. It's I've gone through it almost three yeah. times three times now already. <laughs> it's um it is so good. If you are a fervent believer in this and you have family members or friends who think you're an idiot for believing in Sasquatch and and the legitimacy of the Patterson film, just hand them Jeff Meldrum's book. Point out a few chapters, maybe just a line or two, and um, yeah, see how they feel but, about that. But you have had Bigfoot on the brain oh, quite a bit lately. I have, yeah. Hence our, um, our two episodes in a row with uh, Bigfoot encounters. Um, okay, before we talk about Roger Patterson, real brief, briefly, Mike, I want before I forget, I want to ask you in your mind. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of close, kind of a toss up. What is more important to you? What do you think is more uh, legit slash fascinating slash um, meaningful as far as Bigfoot evidence goes? The Sierra Sound recordings by Ron Moorhead or the Patterson film? Oh wow! Well, it's got to be the Patterson film. Um, but uh, you know, the Ron Moorhead stuff. I mean, it's right up there with it. I know. I mean, we can't uh, we can't keep them. You know, too far apart. I mean, you no, know, uh, not you know, at all. And, and and the time frame between the two when they happened really wasn't that far off. I mean, absolutely not. No. You know, and it's just you know, like uh, you know, the beginning of of the Bigfoot craze in our world. You know, yeah, no, oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent, yeah. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Roger Patterson, back in 1967, uh, before this was this famous film was recorded, he was in between jobs. He was a rodeo rider. He was friends with a man named Bob Gimlin. Bob Gimlin was a horse rancher and a carpenter. 
Uh, they had been friends for quite some time. Now, as my professional notes tell me, Mike, you see my notes right here. I see it. Lots of sloppy, sloppy notes right there. Looks like you wrote it in like ketchup or something. <laughs> well, or crayon. No, that's that's pen. But I just oh, okay. Got I notice when I'm writing down my notes for the podcast, my handwriting skills just plummet. <laughs> it's like only I can read it. Yeah, <laughs> and well, I, that's I me have, too. I have pretty decent handwriting, you know. But uh, yeah. Hey, I, I got just a couple little trivia questions for you. Oh. Do you know where a trivia question just out of the out of the well, out of it, nowhere it applies? Okay, uh, where in this country was Roger Patterson from oh by my any gosh. chance do you know you're putting me on the spot what do you mean where in the entire country yes where in in this country was he born and raised so is this like where in Carmen San Diego is Roger Patterson type well thing? I'm just asking if you know where he's from no you <laughs> tell the listeners where he's from please do me a favor <laughs> you put me on the spot I couldn't tell you where he was born well there's a famous uh, drugstore there that uh at least around these parts, you uh, you see quite often, probably around your parts as well. Walgreens? Wall drug. Wall drug. Okay, so he was in, born inside a wall drug. Well, South Dakota. Wall, South Dakota. Oh, I understand where you're going there. I uh, see. Boy, I see. did I really stumble around the, on that to... Uh, I think you did. <laughs> make you not understand? <laughs> I, well, I was like, what the hell? What does Walgreens yeah. have to... You said Walgreens. <laughs> was he conceived and born in the Walgreens? Wow. That's yeah. No, he was born uh, February 14th, 1933, and he died in January of 1972. Right. Very young man. Yeah, far too young. Far too young. Like I said earlier, of the devil cancer. Well, his uh, wife, Patricia Patterson, uh, shows here that she died in 1972 as well. Oh my gosh! No kidding. But they I don't know. know they don't have a year for her being born, or them being married. Anyway. Wow, that's that's terrible. God yeah. Damn it. Now I'm kind of depressed now. Hmm. Let's see here. Um, according to my professional notes, as I mentioned, 1967, Roger Patterson, rodeo writer. Um, he first took interest into this alleged Bigfoot phenomena after he read a 1959 article written by Ivan Sanderson. And um, we should check, try and find that eventually. Yeah, do some deep. What was his name again? I'm going to write that down. Mr. Ivan Sanderson. Okay, got it. That's kind of a well-known name in the in the Bigfoot realm. Um, Well, so much so that you know it piqued Roger's interest, and he became um, sort of an amateur Bigfoot. um, I don't want to say researcher, but he was he was going out and about, and he started you know taking plaster casts. He was. Of footprints, alleged footprints, and he was going all in on this. He wanted to capture any sort of quote unquote proof that there was this, you know, being kind of lurking out in the uh, California wilderness slash mountains. By well, the way, you and I, by the way, what a better what better place for a for a large biped to maintain its mystery, its mystique. I mean, yeah. it's, it's fairly near the coastline. I mean, it's heavy. Heavy wooded areas. It's a, a, a never. It's definitely not well traveled. I mean, my God, it's pretty remote. Um, I can't think of a better place, really. So, I, I, I I'm trying to say I, I'm not going to look out my backyard as much as I like my woods. Probably not going to see a Bigfoot, unfortunately. No. Well, but you never know, though. Never know. 
You know, so, so it's, I, there's a it's chance. possible. There's a chance. There's a chance. Of course there is. Is there a chance that you could see one too out the window in Enderlin right now? No, no, no. You'd see them coming from like eight miles away. <laughs> they they can't, they can't sneak up on anybody in North Dakota. <laughs> uh, that's, that's very, very true. Very flat, very flat yeah. <laughs> landscape. Open prairie land. Yeah, I look out my back window. Well, first I see a hill, but if you go at the top of that hill, yeah, see for miles. Now, getting <clears throat> back to Mr. Roger Patterson, before uh, we get to you know the film itself, as I mentioned, his his interest had peaked. He had become kind of an amateur researcher himself. During a 1964 business trip, he actually met up with Mr. Ivan Sanderson to kind of learn as much as he could again about this Bigfoot mystery. You know, I want to backtrack a little bit too, Mike, because. And we'll talk about this later. There's right. another um, aspect of this story that that is that's important. I believe it was 1958 when a lot of this, I'm doing air quotes, the Bigfoot phenomena sort of started with the Ray Wallace footprints um, that he cast. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Do you recall the name Ray Wallace? Yes, I do. Out? Actually, um, we won't focus on him because. It, he went back and forth. What he did, he it could have been legit, but he could have been a, a full-fledged hoaxer as well. I mean, he was caught in hoaxes himself, but then he claimed that he was hoaxing the footprints to protect Bigfoot because he was fearing that they'd get shot from hunters and all that good stuff. Well, we got to come up with an excuse. And, you know, he originally claimed that he um, faked these uh, plaster casts as well to prevent uh, theft of his heavy uh Heavy machinery that he had. That's right. Yep. Yeah, you know, but I then, remember hearing that. Yeah, it's just so much stuff. It's like once you, once you say one tiny little fib, everything else yeah. is out the window. It's, it's gone. Yeah. I mean, even you can't if, even think about it again. But no, I mean, even if you're being totally truthful and stuff, and, and again, this the whole Ray Wallace story is heavily covered in Jeff Meldrum's book. You know, Jeff believes him. He believes that there was Sasquatch out there, but again, mm-hmm. you know, the way that Ray went about. You know, yeah. Know, went about talking about it because he at first took the plaster cast, brought him right down to the newspaper, and they published an article. The next day, Bigfoot was a plastered, all, no pun intended, plastered yeah. all over. <laughs> you know, the media across the country, and that yeah, it just kind of it, it took off, but also kind of plummeted at the same time there. Right. So then, when uh, you know, not that much longer, when uh, these other reports come out, and then the Patterson film comes out. They'll remember that previous experience with, you know, and it's going to, it's going to shoot down. Yeah. Uh, Patterson and Gimlin from right from the beginning from uh, many people. Absolutely. Yep. That's, that's how pseudo skepticism works, isn't it? Yeah. Um, or do, yeah. Now, uh, what about, uh, what oh, about, yeah, when you and I were, I think it was when we were going up to Duluth for the pair of, um, pair of unity. Para Unity, we stopped in that little town that had a bunch of Bigfoot stuff in it. Remember, yeah. it was almost like a Bigfoot flea market or it, something they had going yeah, on. Yeah, it was actually, I think we happened to go through during a, a weekend, uh, I, I want to say it was like an art festival or yeah. something was going on there. It was in Reamer, the small town of Reamer. Reamer, that's right, yeah. R-E-M-E-R. Yeah, we got some great names here in Minnesota. Um, yeah. <laughs> Reamer, I think, is right next, right next to Climax, and that's that's I'm not, yeah. I'm not exaggerating there. <laughs> Uh, no, you're not. <laughs> no, um, so, that's like. Uh, oh, but, never mind. I won't uh, tell they, that. Yeah, so they go ahead. They they um had some actual. I'm not sure. 
were it, was it the actual plaster cast I was taking taken or was building. it or was it a duplicate that they had there on display? I guess I don't recall. I want to say it was the actual plaster cast. I that's what I seem to remember too. Uh, because the Finding Bigfoot team had had been exactly. had filmed there in the Reamer area. That's right. That's right. It's all coming back to me now. Um, I know I took a picture of it, but I have no idea where the hell. It yeah, was. yeah. It was uh, interesting. Oh, very interesting. And again, you know, kind of, you know, getting back to the whole the Ray Ray Wallace thing, you know, he also claims to have lost, you know, over forty thousand dollars of his business expenditures expenditures because he had like over fifteen employees quit on on location mm-hmm. there out of fear of uh, this mysterious creature lurking about. Right. And so he says, "Why would I make it up? I lost money. My I got my workers quitting on me." And um, some of these plaster casts of these footprints were taken on slopes that are just like unbelievably steep and mm-hmm. and they're the 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 weight that would have been required for a fake footprint to cause these the depth of the imprints on yeah. the slopes would be like downright dangerous for a human to even try to get up there yeah, exactly um, and wearing a suit like that wearing yeah, or just you know, yeah. or even just with yeah. stupid crap tied to their feet now um, is that the same case where uh because I remember see, I remember hearing the story, I think, on an Art Bell program many years ago, where there was a, a prints found of a Bigfoot, but it actually showed, like, the print of the body and part of the arm and, like, the knuckles pushing into the ground that sounds when like it was this, trying to push itself up. That's the Skookum cast. That's right. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, another thing that's covered in detail in Meldrum's and book. This fascinating. Is, yeah, this isn't going to be an episode of totally plugging Jeff Meldrum's book all the time, no. but if I could, I no. would, because... But it's worth it. <laughs> it's yeah. worth it. Um, the Skookum cast is another fascinating piece of evidence <clears throat> that just... It, it, it can't be debunked. It just cannot be debunked, no matter how hard people try to do so. Yeah. Um. Again, getting back to Ray Walls before we continue with Roger yes. Patterson. Uh, when Ray passed away in the early 2000s I believe it was um, his family like immediately came forth and said oh by the way you know Ray is basically known as the man who quote unquote created Bigfoot and he, they even went so far as to say that they filmed they were part of the creation of the Patterson Gimlin film going so far as to say I believe it was the mother you know Ray's wife who said she was the one in the suit. Um, they even <laughs> well, went about. Yeah. They even went about um, trying to demonstrate how they created these fake tracks by, and this was this was filmed for a television program, of course. How they you know would strap these you know fake feet to to their feet and go about you know trying to stomp away in wet mud, but all they did was their feet would get stuck. They'd fall over, you know, because mm-hmm. there's no give in these fake feet, you know, and they even went to, uh, so far as to say, well, how do you explain, you know, the, the distance between the strides, you know, like the 70 inch from one print to the, to the next, they went and said, well, old Ray, what he did is he strapped those feet on his feet and he tied himself to the back of a truck. And as the truck slowly pulled him along, he would leap and leap. <laughs> and it's like, how, how ridiculous is this? This is, it's like, come on, people. But of course, that gets put out on television and people say, oh, there, ah, see, it's all fake. They claim it's fake. Jesus. Seven rays of leaping. <laughs> there you go. 
you know, <laughs> God, that's crazy. You know, and I, I, I posted this question on our Patreon page too. Well, it wasn't really a question. It was kind of a statement. But I was like, you know, when you think about the number of people who have claimed to be in the suit in the yeah. Patterson film, doesn't that add credence to its legitimacy when even the liars can't get it straight here? Absolutely, because there's no way that you could find a suit big enough to fit all of them in. <laughs> well, 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 we're going to play a clip of one of the one such people later on, Mr. Bob Hieronymus, who claimed that he was the guy in the suit. And uh, it's just kind of humorous. I found it just before we started recording. I remember watching this program uh, 2005, and it was basically just saying, you know, the Bigfoot Patterson film proven to be a hoax. And I was like, well, first off, no, it wasn't. Um, just because you got Bob Hieronymus and his friends sitting around yeah. a bar talking about, yeah, I'm in the suit. <laughs> well, that doesn't mean that you were, my friend, but uh, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, if you look real close, you can see the ring from my Copenhagen in the back <laughs> pocket of the set. pants I was wearing. Well, and then they had him demonstrate his walk. <laughs> That's right. Outside in front of the bar, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, I mean, you're, I guess you got kind of a unique walk, but uh, no. But how, how many people over the years have imitated and yeah. done that on for anything on TV? Uh, uh, <laughs> Elf did it for crying out loud in Central Park. He did. I know he did. <laughs> you know? Uh, okay, getting back to Roger Patterson. Sorry about that. Yes. Um, also, also piquing his interest is do, during his research, research, he had spoken with uh, tribal elders in the Yakima area, you know, in California there. And the, he learned from them that according to their beliefs, the Sasquatch used to roam the wilderness by the thousands, you know, hundreds mm. of years ago, maybe thousands of years ago. And now, for whatever reason, maybe because of the inhabitation of man, their population has slowly been decimated. Wow. Yeah, where, like everything else. Where does that sound familiar? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that seems like a rational explanation to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's any, there's so many possible ideas for it. Um, again, is it, is it a relic of Gigantopithecus? Is it something that traveled over here? You know, when the, when the land bridge was, was actually above water, you know, and I mean, yeah, it takes millions of years to do it. It's not like when, it's not like all these Gigantopithecus, you know, Gigantopithecai, maybe? It's not like they all said, all right, you know, we, Gigantopithecus. We, need, we need to immigrate by tomorrow. Let's pack up. Let's get on over to North America. You know, no, it doesn't. It takes millions of years. We get that. So, Mike, I'm tired of the weather over here. I we know, exactly. Leave. My hair's getting thin. We need to go <laughs> to warmer climates. Um, I thought you were shaking your head at me for a second, like Patrick. You're just going off on no, worthless no, tangent no, no. again. Okay, fine. Now, Mr. Bob Gimlin. I again, we're not going to be diving into the life histories of these of these gentlemen here, but just kind of set up a backstory. Bob Gimlin, as I mentioned earlier, was a horse rancher and a carpenter. He was and during the time he was actually in between jobs as well. Roger was kind of jobless again, which that adds more weight to the skeptics like oh they're just trying to find cheap yeah. quick ways to make money it's like no that's yeah. not quick it, quick big money you know when you're a rancher you know particular or when you're particularly a carpenter yeah you go through stretches where you don't have a job i mean that's just mm -hmm. the the nature of of the work now um getting back to the film itself a lot of people question well what the hell were they doing out there in the remote 
wilderness slash mountains with a camera anyways with a you know 24 millimeter what are they doing out there well it's, yeah, it's like everything's too set up yeah too too well to be a coincidence and just to catch it out there well but it's, it's not it's not yeah. like it's a little known fact again to mention earlier Roger had been researching Bigfoot. He had been trying mm-hmm. to capture evidence of it for years. He convinced Bob to join him on a trek. Um, he, with the intention, this is Roger now, with the intention of filming and making a documentary about the mystery of Sasquatch, filming footprints, filming their expedition, you know, filming the land, what have you. Because he wanted, under the hopes, he wanted to be able to sell that documentary to further finance more research into the Bigfoot phenomena. Sounds perfectly reasonable to me. Does Or does that sound hokey to you? No, Mike's dying. Oh, it does. Uh, oh, okay. uh, You're uh, fine. <laughs> nope, he's, he's dying again. No, that's just a sneeze. Okay. Oh, I was fighting a sneeze back there. <laughs> yes, I, you're, you're, I totally understand that. Yeah. You're fighting a sneeze face. Looks like you're, yeah. you're looking death in the eye. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Then my eyes got out of water. <laughs> anyway, so yes, carry on with what so, you're saying. What, what, I mean, does that not sound reasonable to you, or does that it sound does. hokey to you? No, it doesn't sound hokey. I totally understand. I agree. Okay, thank you. I appreciate your feedback. Yeah, I forgot what you're talking about, but I agree. I can tell. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I, I know what you're talking Yeah, about. when Mike's in doubt, he just says, I agree. <laughs> it does I say that in text messages a lot. And then you'll end up saying, well, which part did you agree about? <laughs> you do that so often. <laughs> I, I give Mike like multiple options. I say, should we do this? Yeah. What do you think about that? Or possibly this? And he said, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's just do it all. <laughs> so I write back, um, what sounds good? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mike, 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 you're the best. Yeah. Man. You're the best. <laughs> Um, getting back to my ultra professional notes here, um, they had packed up with about two weeks of supplies. They had two, pa- uh, two saddle horses, one pack horse, Bob Gimlin's one ton, two wheel drive truck, um, which is kind of important to point out as well, because when we get to that point after they had filmed this and well, I guess I'll just talk about it now. <laughs> um, I'm skipping all over the place, but that's what we do here in the Paranormal Zone. After they had captured the film and he returned to base camp, kind of, and they tied up their horses and uh, they wanted to get back to town to watch what they had on film because they didn't know if they caught anything. Um, because Roger fell down when he was when they first saw this and their their horses went wild. Yeah. Um, Roger is trying to reach for his camera while holding his horse steady as he could. One of the pack horse or the pack horse took off. Uh, one <laughs> um, Bob was able to maintain his. When Roger gets on the ground, he starts running towards the creature, the being. Well, he runs into the slope and falls flat on his face. Basically, you can kind of see, you know, the film itself is pretty jittery. Yeah. And then you see him reaching for his life alert. Yeah. <laughs> right. I found it and I can't get up. Yes, that's that that's a part that was uh that, that part was actually edited out of it, um, even though there is no yeah. audio. So and then just before uh the the 
she Bigfoot was disappearing into the woods. You can see her turning around and you can read her lips going, that had to hurt. That right? <laughs> very clear articulation. You can see the teeth. You can you can yep. figure out what it's saying. No, no, we're kidding. The breasts are swaying still. Well, uh, they are. <laughs> I mean, there's no doubt about that. I mean, that's a big important part of the of the story. No pun intended that, with big. Ugh. That hairy glutamus maximus is all twitchy and it's hair massive. flowing on it. It's massive. <laughs> Again, when you get to all, <laughs> when you get to the <clears throat> when you when you break down. Again, we're not going to dive into this no. because we are not capable of doing <laughs> the scientific breakdown of it. But, you know, when you, again, listen to Jeff's book, you read Jeff's book, you just listen to smart people. It's the proportions, the physicality, the musculature, mm -hmm. the movement. Yep. Uh, yeah, the hair itself, the, the, hair the arms, itself, the arm lengths, the, the, the arm length, you know, the, the turning of the head and. The size, the, shoulders the size of the jaw muscles. I mean, the um, just yeah. the overall bulk. Uh, this is our favorite word of the of, of the podcast. The bulge that appears out of its leg. Um, yeah, that when that it muscle. takes a, when it takes a step, it's like perfectly in line with you know. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's anatomically correct. Basically, is what you right. should see. Um, I started going down this line because Mike said gluteus maximus, and I was going to say, yeah, the glutes are just massive. Yeah, I mean everything about this. It just well, it's just all pure muscle. I mean, yeah. the, you know, and it's show it's so muscular. It's showing through that thick fur. Yeah, you know, and that's that's definitely saying something. There, you know, if they were to, to fake this, what would they do in Hollywood? They'd put like like air bladders in there where they'd fill them up with air and make yeah. them move and look like they're flexing. You know, there is none of that going on. You just know that. There is a wide enough shot where you could see everything. There was nothing, you know, coming out from the bottom of the leg of the suit or anything that mm -hmm. would be, you know, wires or air hoses or anything. It's just, you know, you know, you think of all that stuff and you put it together as yeah, it was an actual creature. Well, even the discrepancies of the plaster cast or the foot, you know, before yeah. they were taking plaster casts, the footprints themselves, the toes are are appear to be different, different lengths. You know why? Because they're grasping the ground, you know, it's, right. they're helping it balance. You know, there's, there's yep. dip, different depths of the prints. They're, the prints themselves are heavier than the hoof prints that their yeah. horses left, for gosh sakes. Exactly. Sense. You know, and there there are, are uh, footprints that have been made uh, uh, plaster casts out of that. They show uh, bone breakage where it didn't heal right, where like, you know, well, like part of the foot or, uh, is, is uh, missed or deformed or misshapen because of a yeah. break and and they can see these i mean people aren't gonna do this stuff and make it you know look real enough for a scientist to to say or you know this is a, a real legitimate cast well that's something that i think you're referring you know, to the the famous grover krantz footprint. yeah the, you know, yeah the, you know what i'm talking yeah, about yeah yeah the the crippled foot that's basically kind of bent kind yeah. of you know almost like in a, into a sideways V, I guess, you know, with yeah, a big, yeah, it's very, very distinctive. Yeah. yeah with, here's that word again, with a bulge on the side, you know? Um, but yeah, these prints, these back in 1967, I don't care what anyone tries to tell us. The, the, the capabilities of creating a suit like that just wasn't possible. Right. Well, and like what we've talked about before on a, on a, you know, much earlier episode that we've talked about this, you know, we compared it to uh, compared it to Hollywood and what Hollywood 
could do at that time, right? Which is the Planet of the Apes movies, and it looked better, a hundred million times better. Oh, huge, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, there's a definite difference, and yeah, and the money that it would have taken to build something like this and to put it together. Yeah, and these guys are jobless, by the way. At the yeah, time. exactly. Well, Roger was, uh, you know, Bob was in between jobs. They're not exactly rolling in dough. Not even close. Not right. even close. Um, and that's, I'm not disparaging them at all. You know, it happens. It's just, you know, it's, it's tough out there, man. It's tough to make a living. Um, I can imagine trying to make a, a living as a rodeo hand. I mean, that's, I can't imagine that's very, uh, very much of a, very profitable. I, I wouldn't make a living of it because I'd die on the first time I tried it. <laughs> well, unless, <laughs> would they, would they strap you? Would you, would you be allowed to lay on top of the horse? <laughs> <laughs> strap you down yeah in in bubble wrap <laughs> and i won't do it in the dirt it'll be yeah. on like a trampoline or something i, I, I got you <laughs> and again, now circling all the way back to bob gimlin again you know and yes. roger patterson when they went to town and they got and they were able to actually watch what they had captured you yeah. know you're quoting bob gimlin i remember i heard him say this in an interview and i i, I read it as well he was like, you know what? I was rather disappointed in what we captured because, quite frankly, I thought we had a lot more. Because what he was kind of thinking about was the amount of time that this creature was in his sight line right. was a yeah. hell of a lot longer than that what, minute, minute. What they clip. actually got. Yeah, it was like 60 seconds. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, they came, they come around the corner in the bluff there right before the creek. And that, you know, according to Bob. It was standing and staring right at them. The horses see it. The horses spook. Bob, uh, I mean, a Roger who always kept one buckle of his uh, of his saddlebag open, be, just in case, so he could still hold on to his horse and use one hand to grab his camera. He had them practicing that. Yeah. You know, um, just in case, his horse is jumping all over the place. He's he manages to get the camera, and like I said earlier, he kind of runs and falls, and Bob's watching that the whole time. Bob, um, when the creature's walking away, the famous frame when the creature turns and looks towards Roger, you know, it does it twice, but there's one that's more prominent mm -hmm. where, where the arms are, you know, flayed out to, right. to each yep. side. Um, that's when uh, Bob Gimlin's horse crossed the creek, and so it was like it was like responding to something's behind me. You know, I'm they're coming towards yeah. me. Bob, at that point, um got off his horse, was still holding onto his horse, and grabbed his gun with no intention of shooting in case they felt they needed to. You know, they had agreed beforehand to not shoot if they came across one in case, and unless they had to defend themselves. Which, again, I, I, I find that the, the right choice. Absolutely quite, the right choice. Quite commendable. Very, very commendable. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which, again, ah, this, I'm sorry if I, I'm jumping all over the place, but this this is a passionate subject of mine, and I, there's so much stuff that I want to get out. If this was faked, Bob Gimlin certainly doesn't seem to be... He's uh, He was either totally innocent and absolutely ignorant. I'm not saying ignorant and ignorant in a bad way. Right. He just was totally unaware. Unknowledgeable. Of, unknowledgeable, unaware of any malicious intent on Roger Patterson's part. Um... But he, one thing he throws out there time after time after time, he says, if that was a man in a suit, how in the hell did Roger or the man in the suit know that I wasn't going to shoot it? You know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they, they agreed. 
to not shoot it beforehand unless they needed to out of self-defense. Mm-hmm. But how can you predict anything? How do you know how this thing is going to react? How do you know how you're, you are going to act until you are in that situation? Even if you agree mm-hmm. to not shoot, yeah, you don't necessarily yeah. know that you're not going to. In a situation like that, from second to second, you don't know what's going to happen next. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can imagine the adrenaline. Oh, and how long it took them to calm down. Yeah. (laughs) Well, when they decided they were disappointed in the footage they caught, I guess. Yeah, that's, you know, and they they were able to watch that, and um, they're like, man, well, that was Bob. You know, Bob was kind of like disappointed. Uh, Roger was static, or (laughs) static, he was ecstatic. Uh, so much so, he called up uh, his friend, Al Hodgson, who was uh, the store proprietor there in Willow Creek, and he called him up and he says, quote, unquote, I got a picture of the son of a buck. <laughs> yeah. And according to Al Hodgson, he was, um, Roger was always a very calm man, of calm demeanor, very, you know, you know, kind of quiet. And he said mm-hmm. that he'd never seen him this excited ever before or heard him yeah. this excited ever before. Um, <laughs> Al Hodgson then promptly called John Green, uh, scientists, you know, researcher, the companies like we got tracks up here. You need to come check them out. And which they did the following day, you know, the following days. Um, after watching the film, you have to forgive me. I'm going off the top of my head now, Mike. Um, after, after watching the film, Bob and Roger returned to base camp. Um, they couldn't go to sleep. They stayed up for hours talking about oh, sure. what, what they had seen <laughs> and what was their next plan of attack. And then, as tends to be, nature reared its ugly head, and a, a damn near monsoon decides to start coming in, and they were wondering, Bob in particular, we need to get back up there and cover up those tracks before it gets washed away completely. Now, for whatever reason, Roger said, no, I think the rain will pass, but it didn't. <laughs> um Bob, when they went to town, had actually grabbed a bunch of pieces of cardboard from Al Hodgson to cover up the tracks, but by the time he remembered he had them, they had been absolutely soaked. So it's yeah. interesting, then Bob decides to hop on his horse, and he goes up there himself, and he covers up as many tracks as he can with uh, tree bark, actually. And that seemed to do the job fairly okay. Now, this goes back to why I brought up the idea that he had a two-wheel drive, one-ton truck. Because of this downpour it got downright dangerous up there i'm sure it did um bob wanted to go took some convincing roger wanted to stay bob decided to make a break for it basically um before it got any worse long story short they had they they encountered mudslides trees coming down the canyon slopes um the creek itself had already expanded by over four feet and they were on the wrong side of the creek (laughs) Um, again, a lot of shit to go through to fake something. Exactly. There's, yeah. Why would you do that if it, uh, you know, Mike, if you and I want to hoax something, we we'll do it from the comfort of our living room. <laughs> yeah. At, at least from the comfort of our vehicle with like, you know, depending on what time of the year it is, either the heat or the air on at, Well, very good. Very well said. And snacks. Well, Mike, yeah, we need snacks. Well, what happens if we need to throw something to Bigfoot? I mean, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Have an apple. Here's a Dorito. Oh, yeah. Apple. <laughs> yeah. That's better. <laughs> Give them some chips. Yeah. Here's some unbelievably <sighs> salty corn chips for you, Biggie. Yeah. Well, remember here in the Hendersons, you know, don't give them a 
burger or anything. <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> Don't have a deer head hanging in your in your kitchen or nothing. Now, upon Somewhere. also upon a re when they were in town, they had they reached out to like I said, John well, Al Hodgson reached out to John Green. They also inquired about getting some some dogs to help track um, the the footprints um, as soon as they possibly could. Um, with the weather that really inhibited that, obviously. After they initially had filmed this being, they did follow it for as far as they could, you know, the tracks kind of started sloping downward until the, and actually crossed over a back road, um, which is interesting. I didn't know that part. I, I knew that it's kind of the creature you see it in the film, actually walking far and far away down kind of the slope. I didn't know that it actually went over a back road and then up the Canyon side, a, mm -hmm. a super steep cliff. Yeah. Again, I didn't know that. Yep. Um, now, it's interesting to note that upon further research into the area afterwards, that there was an impression in the slope up on the cliff that just happened to look just like some large creature decided to sit down and look mm -hmm. back down at the two gentlemen. <laughs> Watching him come up. Isn't that crazy? And all because there's a uh, hairy butt crack imprint in the mud. <laughs> right, yeah, the original Skookum cast right there. Yeah, right there right. you go. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. For some reason, that just fascinates me, just how it kind of sits back. and. Well, yeah, it really adds a lot to the story. I mean, it just doesn't end with uh, with her going into the, the woods. And there are <laughs> multiple size tracks, Mike, suggesting. Okay, so that says a lot there. There were you? several. It is theorized that there were two potential maybe youngsters of the mother Sasquatch that yeah. who knows where they were. I know I've heard people say that if you look really close, you can see what looks like a face in the woods. And yeah. It's like, well, yeah, it's probably three branches that are crossing each other just yeah. the right way. Yeah, exactly. You know. um, but who knows? It could have been, knows? but I mean, there's no dispute that there were three right. different size footprints. I so, don't think these are solitary you know, creatures anyway, uh, yeah. in my opinion, um, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a rogue or whatever, you know, like there is with any animal species, I think, but, um, I think they're highly social within their own group. No, that, that would, you know, that wouldn't be shocking. Definitely. Right. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're camouflaging, and they're hiding in their, their way of <clears throat> not being seen. There yeah. could have been 20 more sitting, you know, standing oh. there. Well, you know, that's, that's, well, let's, let's be honest. That would be terrifying, but <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. Extremely if exciting. It'd be very, very exciting. We don't know if they, um, I don't want to say either way. I going by my gut. I don't think that they're a dangerous, uh, being, I hate saying the word creature. Why does creature yeah. bother me? Um, so I keep saying being, I don't get a bad vibe. I don't get a bad vibe from Biggie. Mike. Yeah, I don't either. I, really um but like with anything there's going to be times where oh of course you know, well that's a pissed off one or yeah. that one's not very nice absolutely <laughs> you know yeah or it's like on oh, who the hell are these idiot you know beings following up they won't leave us alone it's like i'm just right. trying to sleep <laughs> yeah exactly yeah we just don't know we just we don't know enough or actually know anything about the inside yeah. of their head and their thinking and right you know, we just don't know enough to even speculate on you know, I so many things. I want to share that 
short audio clip here because we're already at 46 yeah. minutes. And God damn it. That, um, we're going to have to wrap it up here in like half an hour. We got a lot of shit to go, th- go through. Um, do it. I want to play that clip, but one, uh, before that, when you said, you know, the, something about the size of a head or no, what's in their head, that's what it was. Right. It also brought me back to another great point that Jeff said. He actually said that when we interviewed him, too. Uh, if you remember this, Mike, when he says a lot of the skeptics keep saying it's obviously a man in the suit because it doesn't have like the female hips. It doesn't have like the, the walk of a female would, of a female biped, you know. And, and like Jeff said, he goes, well, first off, the head size of this being in proportion to the rest of its body, the size of its head means, well, let me, let me rephrase that. When you think of the size of this being's head compared to its hip size, it makes sense because as opposed to a human female hip width, and it, exactly. you know, the birth canal needs yep. to be a certain size in order to fit right. our giant noggins through there. Yep. This one didn't need that. Right. So Each why would species it have, is built yeah. uh, you know, to, uh, um, to do what they need to do. Yeah. And obviously Jeff Meldrum is so eloquent and he explains it yeah. a million times better than I just uh, attempted to, but you get the point. Uh, go watch yeah. that. Go watch our interview with him on, on YouTube. Uh, so, it's so worth it. He's such an awesome guy. Yeah. All right, Mike, I'm going to play that clip. Um, yes. Because it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be proper if we didn't, you know, show both sides. And this is just one oh, small, small aspect. This is from a 2005 program. It's called Bigfoot Patterson <laughs> Film Hoax Solved. 2005 yeah. this is a four minute 49 second clip um it starts off with an intro as to what's in the film and then we get to meet mr bob hieronymus who claims to be in the suit yeah bright walking biped in that film that has arms and legs in terms of the limb ratios the speed the stride length nothing can be determined from that film there's not enough data in it and to make claims otherwise isn't scientifically valid. It's time to go back to the source, Washington's Cascade Mountains, where the Bigfoot filmmakers grew up. If the Patterson film is a hoax, there are three witnesses. One, Roger Patterson, is dead. The second, Bob Gimlin, isn't talking. Which, by the way, Bob Gimlin has been talking a lot lately but at that time he wasn't because um as we will talk about before we wrap up the show bob wasn't exactly embracing this whole uh idea of being a part of this bigfoot phenomenon because quite frankly it was it was affecting his life in a negative way and his family's life i mean again it adds more legitimacy mike in my eyes why would you fake something like this ultimately just to be harassed endlessly yeah i mean your fam your wife being brought to tears you know on a daily basis because of this hoax that you were supposedly a part of doesn't make sense to me no and he's he's really embraced it i mean over the years he has Um, he had to be convinced to basically come out of hiding to come and start talking about it again and then he's only continued doing it based on the positive response since it exactly and yeah we do have uh, a request in for him to be on the show but Yes, the, the representative was wasn't too well. She took it down, I guess. Well, whatever. no, well, no, it went. It, she's did, very, 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 very positive, very, very nice uh, 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 lady, and you know she 
this was over a year and a half ago when I first, right. first yeah. proposed this, and she said, absolutely. And then it got to the point where we'd have to probably travel a couple of states to meet him at a convention. Yeah. And then it got to the point where, and which is totally understandable. I mean, he's in his nineties and, yes. and she says that Bob is really, he has to really turn down a lot of interviews right now. He says, yeah, no disrespect, but uh, we can't say yes right now. And I said, I, yeah. I told you, we understand. Give Bob our Absolutely. Best. So, you know, a huge bucket list, but I mean, they aren't all going to work, obviously. No. All and, right. Continuing, uh, continue yeah. with the clip here. Yeah. So the question is, what about the guy in the suit? Several people have come forward over the years to claim that particular honor. We're here to meet Bob Hieronymus, who as a young man used to ride with Patterson and Gimlin. Bob claims that back in 67, he was the guy who strode across Bluff Creek in Patterson's Bigfoot suit. Around here, there are a lot of people who will back Bob's story up. And well, there's that walk. People say I walk like Bigfoot anyway. To his friends, Bob's Bigfoot role is old news. I've heard a lot of people say, you know, you can you believe that old Bob was really Bigfoot? You know, that was a lot of people say that, you know. Bob says his secret wasn't much of a secret around here. My biggest concern always was that somebody's going to shoot you, you know. That was my big concern wearing that suit. That was my big concern all the Everybody around here, you know, after a few years, knew that was me. Oh, yeah. We knew it. We all just kind of, everybody just kind of kept it quiet. According to Bob, Roger Patterson approached him in the fall of 1967 with an offer that was too good to pass up. He wanted a pretty good-sized guy, you know, uh, somebody they could trust to wear this Bigfoot suit. They said that we'll pay a thousand dollars and it'll only take about 10 minutes. So I was 26 years old at the time. I jumped on it, you know. After a trial run in Yakima, Bob says, they all shook hands and agreed to rendezvous in California in a few weeks time. They met up in Bluff Creek, home of the infamous Wallace tracks and many Bigfoot sightings. Wallace tracks. The next morning we got up and they made coffee and saddled up the horses, put the, the Bigfoot suit on the back of um, one of the horses. And we went about, uh, seemed like about a half a mile. First off, there's a lot of lack of detail in that story. I mean, it sounds like any other day out in the, in the, in the woods for these guys. Mm-hmm. Woke up, had a cup of coffee, got the horses ready. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, then I put the Bigfoot uh, Bigfoot suit on the horse. Then we headed on out. Anyways, sorry. From where they were camped up into this place where they had picked out before I got there to film the Bigfoot film. We unloaded the the suit, and uh, of course they helped me in it. It was in October, you know, and I figured it might be hunters. Most people go to the mountains have a gun, you know. You know, it was so hot inside that suit, and the sweat was just rolling off me, and I was nervous, you know, and a little bit claustrophobic. Roger told me to go over to a certain place and stand there. I got out there and waited, and he gave me the signal. He uh, was sitting on uh, one of the, my horse that he took down there, and so he took the camera and kind of went like that. You know, as you can see, the film is shaky started walking out across there, and I walked, uh, I don't know, 
how many yards it was, and I turned, you know, the old Bigfoot look and looked at him and went on. All this time, you know, waiting for a bullet to crack through my butt. That was the end of it. Good job. I thought I'd done a pretty good job. Okay, well that's 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 only about ten seconds left. So, um, I mean, uh, maybe he's telling the truth, Mike. I don't know. I don't. I don't get a really good vibe from him. So, but if tell, he's in, telling if, the story, if he's in the suit, then I thought Ray Wallace's wife was in the suit. So yeah. See, they they can't even get it all straight throughout the whole thing. I mean. And this, you know, let's be clear, Bob Hieronymus isn't the only person who has claimed to have been in the suit, nor is Ray right. Wallace's family the only ones to claim to be involved in the film. There are so many that's just, it's yeah. it's muddled, and it's it, it adds to the frustration because the pseudo-skeptics will just jump all over that. Oh, yeah, just, yeah, and, you know, when that story aired and everything, uh, people that may have been on the on the fence about it, you know, that, that changed a lot of people's mind right there, too, just seeing that and yeah. it's like well that's what it is and a lot of people are going to believe it you know it's the people that uh you know they've really done a lot of research into it or looked into it and it's been such a great interest for so long mm -hmm. that uh you know it's easier to have a different idea about the legitimacy of it now you know, um um before we wrap it up we got let's let's try and get another 20 minutes in here mike um now after you know, returning to the base camp, you know, and barely getting out, you know, alive, surviving the mudslides and, you know, the monsoon. Um, Roger was very, very excited to get his film out. He wanted, he was planning on shipping it off to, you know, people in New York, people in, uh, on the West Coast. You know, they, he wanted people to see it and tell them what it was, what they thought. Um, he was talked out of it um, by a, you know, I believe it was John Green who said, like, no, I think we need to have this um, studied and then shown to a panel of, like, scientists and anthropologists. And that's what happened. It was at the University of British Columbia that this was sent off to. And that brings up my second question here, Mike. After the initial viewing, you know, there, I don't know the exact number of scientists, anthropologists, anatomists who were attending this screening Maybe three percent of them gave it a chance at being legit. Mm -hmm. Almost all of them immediately said, "No, that's nothing." Well, it goes against what uh, what they believe or what they would teach. Um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but even one you know, well-renowned and respective, respected teacher and scientist, you know, he just says, "Yeah, I sat down and watched this minute of foolishness and came to the quick conclusion that it was you know just a man in a monkey suit and." It's so obvious and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, okay, first off, to me, that attitude isn't scientific in any way, shape, or form when you sit down with a preconceived take. That's exactly what it is, yeah. And you can't figure it out in the amount of time that they took to watch it yes. and to study it. Exactly. There's no way. Exactly. And it was just dismissed offhand by just... By so many who were attending that screening, a couple of them gave yeah. it a, a, a possibility. A couple, a couple of them were open-minded. God bless them, you know. But the majority, by far, just chucked it aside as if it was nothing. It's like you're wasting our time. And again, it goes to 
like Meldrum's argument is like one they're, they're so dismissive, so easily dismissive. So many of these people, even if they're kind of open-minded to it, they said, well, I don't know what's in the film, but you know, before I do some serious research into the possibility that there is this bipedal ape roaming the, the North American woods, I need some bones. I need some evidence. Well, what do, you, what do you mean you need bones and you need evidence? If every single researcher out there went with that attitude, how could anything new ever be discovered? Right. Yeah. And also, you know what I'm saying, Mike? It's, it's Absolutely. It's maddening. It's, you know, well, no, we don't have proof laying in front of me, so I'm not, therefore not going to look deeper into it. That just, that's totally anti-science. <laughs> you know? It's all about discovery. It's all about learning new things. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know. So the question yeah. I was going to, the reason I'm going on this mini tangent, Mike, is because the question I have is why the hell, if this was faked, why would Roger Patterson immediately allow it to be scrutinized and analyzed by scientists and anthropologists yeah. at the highest level of their field? Yep, that says a lot there too. I mean, they were ready right, as soon as they got it, they wanted it uh, looked at and legitimized. Yeah. They, you know, you know, it's you're totally right there about it. They wouldn't, they wouldn't do it. I'm even, I'm running out of my notes here, as you can tell, but even John Napier, who is a believer, well, I shouldn't say believer, he, he was a supporter of the idea of Sasquatch. And forgive me, I don't know if John Napier is still alive or not. Um, I hope he is. But even he put down this film and his main source of argument for that is because, and granted this was back in 1967, um, his main source of argument because he says, according to him, the biological layout of this creature here, this being, it looks half human and half ape. He's like, from the waist on up, it looks human, or it looks like a chimpanzee. From the waist on down, it looks human. And that just, as far as, he shows that's so against everything we know about evolution, all about history of apes, you know, of great apes, it just doesn't make sense. This was 1967, and as Meldrum so poignantly points out in his book, he says, well, he was premature because now, as we all know, and I'm going to read my notes here, 1974, you know the name Lucy, Mike. That's the right, Australopithecus, that. Australopithecus Lucy was discovered, which, guess what? From the waist on up, it resembled a chimpanzee. From the waist down, it was more human-like. So guess what? It is possible there, Mr. John Napier. You were a bit premature in saying that it wasn't. Yeah. So, again, that adds frustration. It adds so much. It's so maddening when scientists, the highest in their field, yeah. the most intelligent educated, talented people just refuse to even look at it because it doesn't fit what they know already. Yep. It disrupts their safe little world they're in. How are we ever supposed to know anything new? And we say this all the time, Mike. Mike has been coughing his balls off here. I'm sorry here, everybody. Yeah, it's my, it's my throat. <laughs> did you run out of your, did you run out of your, your, your uh, Coca-Cola to soothe your I throat? I did. <laughs> Uh, I did. Now I lost my train okay. of thought because I looked like you were dying again. <laughs> yeah. Um, I hope that never happens in mid. Well, would that be a good time for you to pass away, Mike? Is in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the humor stops. <laughs> Patrick's left with nothing. <laughs> yeah, talk about killing time! Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. I'm just sitting here. I'm like, oh, we got ten minutes to go. What the hell? We got? Come on, Mike! Come on! Come on, Mary! Yeah. Resuscitate yeah, my- him. My dead body actually does start moving, and my hands start doing that 
stretching it out <laughs> signal for that people do on TV and that we need. Uh, yep, we need exactly. More come time. On, Keep come going. On. <laughs> yeah, being that we are coming short on time here. Uh, yeah. Um, as we mentioned earlier, Roger unfortunately passed away in 1972, but he never strayed from his story. Bob and him are actually kind of went astray from each other because Bob got kind of. Yeah kind of irritated with Roger because he thought Roger was trying to exploit the film too much. And, well, and quite frankly, Bob thought he wasn't going to get any of the financial stuff if Roger was going to get any of it, which, by the way, he didn't for the most part at all. Yeah. Uh, Bob, or Roger did go on to publish a book, a self-published book, Do Abominable Snowmen of America Really Exist? 1966, 182-page book. I wonder if that's still in circulation. You know what? Uh, You should be able to find it somewhere. I know it is. I'm answering my own question because I saw that was republished in 2018. Cool. So uh, if you guys are interested, go look up Do Abominable Snowmen of America Really Exist? Roger Patterson, 1966 book, republished 2018. Well, Mike, I've covered all my notes on both sides here. Do you have any questions for me? Uh, how do you want to wrap this one up? I got so much stuff floating around in my brain. It's, it's too much. It's too much. Yeah. Well, when are you going to be uh, doing another trek through the, uh, Babbitt woods looking for (laughs) the squatch? Well, I would love to go through the Babbitt woods, but I think, uh, I am going to make a trip up the Babbitt the week after the Super Bowl to visit, uh, sometime co-host Mr. Show, my brother Joe, because we are going to revisit the allegedly haunted Babbitt school. So that will be a blast, and we're going to do a proper, proper attempt at recording the source of that sound of the desks moving. Um, that I, I don't know what it could be, but we're going to do it properly. Do a sensory deprivation up there. Ooh. Of course, I'm not going to be making it to this <sighs> Babbitt trip. But, but Mike, I think we should try and do a FaceTime thing again. And yes, do it I definitely would last, be up for that. Last time we did that from the theater, the Babbitt Theater, I was an idiot, and I held the recorder like right next to my phone, and so all we got on the playback was... Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't thinking. <laughs> um, off yeah. the top of my head here, though... I'm just trying to think of anything from the Meldrum book. I can't, I can't plug it enough. He just, he, and again, he's not, he gets, he gets frustrated when people label him a believer, which is another yeah. thing about the Ray Wallace story that drove him nuts. And it drives me nuts too, because Ray, uh, there was the New York times reporter who was after Ray Wallace passed away, called him up. He said, would you be interested in talking to me about Ray Wallace? Would you be interested in talking to me about this whole Bigfoot phenomenon? And of course, Jeff says, yes, you know, and, um, and he talks him in depth about the scientific possibilities of this being real and going on and just educating this man. And this man seemed legit. He wanted to get to the bottom of the story. He seemed open-minded. But then, of course, when the article comes out, Jeff is totally misquoted. He's even, mm-hmm. you know, basically puts shit down that he never said. Yeah. And he labeled Jeff a true believer and other scientists like Jeff as true believers. And that drives Meldrum nuts. I'm not saying I'm a true believer. I'm just looking at the facts in front of me here. Right. Exactly. The scientific data tends to show us that there is something out there. Jeff Mm -hmm. also, oh my God, I'm talking about this, but this is like the Jeff Meldrum episode of the second half of it here. I apologize. (laughs) But he talks about some of his own research that he's done uh, in the field and some of his encounters he's had at night, Mike, at their, uh, um, they were up in the Bluff Creek Mountain area, actually, mm-hmm. fairly close to this, you know, where yeah, this film Bluff was, Creek, yeah, where this was recorded. 
they had some really interesting experiences, Mike's a lot, lo, Mike, lots of audio. Beings running from tent to tent mm. and at night waking them up, oh, opening up their bags. Um, I mean, there's so much interesting stuff that's going very intriguing. Yeah, and then you you hear them peeing on the side of the tents. You and then, did. Uh, you did. Deep, deep guttural giggling, <laughs> or just a, a deep guttural. <laughs> ah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Showing Junior how to have fun with the humans. Yeah, exactly. This is how we mess with those hairless apes who keep following us around. <laughs> it's like, well, I don't know what's so special about us, but man, they keep trying to take pictures and all sorts of stuff. All Wait until you see one of them faint. It's funnier than hell. It is. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, and, and again, you know, and Jeff goes on, he talks about just the movement of the feet, even when you see the, the left foot appear and it's as clear as day. And he yeah. talks about the mid-tarsal break, you know, all the dermal ridges, the sagittal crest, um, all the smart scientific stuff that Mike and I aren't capable of talking about right now. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not even capable of holding any of it in my brain. I know. I know. Um, any final thoughts, Mike? Any final thoughts on the Roger Patterson, Bob Gimlin story? What do you think well, of your final, what's like your final we, assessment? Like we said, you know, we're believers. I'm a believer. Didn't take me long to really grasp onto that. Um, believed it as a kid, you know, um, there's just too many questions about it that, that uh, <clears throat> can't simply be answered by way of, you know, uh, this was a, a hoax or whatever. Yeah. There's just too much that points to not being a hoax. I think so too. Yeah. Right. People are going to, you know, make a decision and they, you know, research it, read it, uh, you know, watch it and form your own opinion. Don't just say, no, you're not going to believe it because it just can't happen. Yeah. It's like, you're not going to look learn, at it. You're not going to learn anything new ever. Yep. If, Absolutely. If you have, have a closed mind um, and that goes for everybody, scientists included. You know? Yeah. Too many people have looked at it to, or, or said they were going to look at it and didn't. And, and it, it's just a waste because it's out there. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, you and I are, and I'm sure all of our listeners are as well. You know, they're capable of detecting BS when they oh, sure. see it yeah. or hear it, you know, just go watch an interview with Bob Gimlin. I mean, yeah. he comes across as so sincere and humble and I don't get a vibe of a trickster, a hoaxer by any means at all. Yeah. Like we mentioned earlier, he wanted nothing to do with it for several, several years. That in itself kind of lends a little credence to it. Um, I believe him. His story has never changed. Yeah. Never. Unfortunately, you know, Roger is no longer here, hasn't been for far too long, but I hope that he is redeemed eventually, you know? Right, exactly. I mean, not that he's necessarily being bashed and tarnished to this day, but he went to his grave with majority of people not believing anything right. that he said. Well, you know, uh, if sometime in the future uh, this is all brought out to be factual and scientifically proven... Mm -hmm. You know, he'll be vindicated and everything, you know, posthumously, of course, yeah. but um, it'll still be a great thing. It, it'll be it'll be a huge thing for all of us that are still here, you know, if, if it happens in our lifetimes, you know, but um, uh, hopefully it'll all come out. And these pseudo skeptics, they can have just a, a moment of thought yeah. after that happens. 
I thought you were going to see say, what happens. I thought Mike was going to say, and these pseudo skeptics suck it. I thought you were going to yeah, say yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, Mike's too mature for that. He's too mature. Oh, sure. Everybody knows how mature I am. Well, Mike, um, with that, this has been a great episode, man. Um, it has. Uh, it, uh, it, it flew by. I feel like I barely covered what I wanted to, but that's usually how it works here. Yeah, after getting through the trials and tribulations yeah. of the last few days, and it it works. Well, let us know what you guys think of, what all of you think of the Patterson film. Um, and a quick plug for the next episode, Mike. I think that you'll be down for this. Um, one of our passionate listeners, who happens to be my, my lovely, talented, intelligent uh, niece, uh, she shared with me in detail via email, and she's told me these stories in person. She's kind of like Mike. She's had a really a life filled with the weird and the wacky. And she's I, like me, but she's she's a lot prettier. Yeah, actually. well, yeah, I'm sorry, Mike. I agree. <laughs> I agree with you. Um, and she's giggling right now when she hears this. She's she's listening sometime in the future. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> Clarissa Marie, um, I'm calling you out on the show. I asked you already if I could talk about that, uh, all your stories, and you said yes. And also, you accepted our invitation to come on the show and talk about them yourself. Um, some of these stories, Mike, that she's had these paranormal experiences i cannot wait to share them with you and get your uh thoughts on them because they are they're yeah pretty, they're pretty they're out there but i absolutely believe her 100 i mean she's well, not, she's not making this up it where have these happened it's in that local area yeah up there. well both her house both the house that she grew up in which she now owns she uh purchased it from her her parents my my Sometimes co-host, Mr. Joe, Mr. Joe, yeah. Mr. Show. Yeah, Joe. this is all up in the Babbitt area where she's yep. had her experiences. And in the house that she previously lived with her and her husband and their newborn, uh, they had started having weird experiences, moved back to her her uh, house of childhood, and they have continued. And they've been pretty weird and wacky, wild stuff. Can I give you a, a teaser of one real quick? Yes, please. There's one. She had a story where her and her sister, they used to share a room. And they would usually, and Chloe, forgive me if I'm if I'm butchering that right now, but they would they have memories and they and mom does too, of them having trouble sleeping basically because and they would always claim to hear from particular area in the room or an object something of the nature of. Let me backtrack because the story is going to be more potent when I tell you the correct in the correct manner here. The other night. Or maybe it was a couple months ago, recently. <laughs> Chloe's sometime. Chloe's uh, oldest, who's still a young kid, he's two, two years old, coming up on three. Um, there's really four. Doesn't matter. Chloe, you can slap <laughs> me right now because I can't remember <laughs> the exact. Anyway, age. anyways, he comes downstairs and he says he can't <laughs> sleep because he's he's always complaining about this ghost, this wolf, this dark shadow that's in his room. Um, and he also claims he came downstairs and he started talking about hearing noises but he also goes up and he tells chloe he says itsy bitsy spider itsy bitsy spider itsy bitsy spider and chloe's like what what are you talking about puts him back to sleep and blah 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 and that created the memory the spark of chloe and her sister sharing their mm. bedroom as a kid and they would always hear coming from a particular spot in that room when they were younger they would be freaked out because they would keep hearing someone whispering itsy bitsy spider to them and that is the same room that her son is now in. Really? That's freaky. <laughs> did they did they add like the, the up the water spout kind of thing? Uh, I don't know. You'd have to ask Chloe. I'll have to give you a better detailed version. So 
And like yeah. I said, I might have got a couple details wrong, but I, you definitely got the gist of that. And that's just oh, one. Yeah. That's just one thing. So I that's awesome. Can't wait to talk to you about that. But if, so I'm, I'm some... assuming you'll be okay with us focusing on personal paranormal experiences for the next. Well, episode. absolutely. Um, so where her son was saying this is in the same room that her and her sister slept in. I believe so. Yes. Wow. See, that's that's really yeah some great stuff right there. Uh, it's just. Yeah, that would make you think. I wish Chloe. I wish you could see Mike's face right now, but I can tell that he's like he's like whoa. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Um, I'm hit you. You know, some ghosty whispering, uh, you know, uh, nursery rhymes yeah. to your kid during the night. <laughs> Oofta! Throughout the generations, man. Oofta! All right, Mike. Thank you so much for making this work, man. This has been a great, yeah, well, great discussion. You. It flew by. Um, I hope Mary doesn't swear at you anymore. Um, she frightened me earlier. Yeah. When she, yeah, when when she starts doing that too much, I, I start to get a rash. Oh, I thought you were going to say a rash. Oh my god! <laughs> no, I don't. Okay, good. good. You you, a, you didn't hear what I said either, so I won't. Uh, no, I didn't. Okay, parts of me gets itchy, so there yeah. might be a rash there, but no. it's in places where I can't really see. Okay. So, <laughs> well, okay, I'll, I'll just kidding. <laughs> I'll repeat myself. I was afraid that you said when she yells at you like, like that, you get aroused. I thought that's what aroused. You're oh no. <laughs> Well, it okay. depends on what she says. Well, that's very true. You know, you can yell certain words. and Very, very true. Some, th- some words are going to be very <laughs> disappointing and hurtful, and some <laughs> will be quite arousing. It just depends. Well, thank you Mary, so much. we got to go talk. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God. I, I planted an <laughs> idea, and Mike's not. Ask her some questions. I don't know. Thank you so much, Mike, for joining me. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Again, uh, if you enjoy the podcast and you want to support us, uh, check out our Patreon page. Tons of really cool stuff, including a clip that I just posted the other day. That I don't think Mike has watched it yet. I haven't, but uh, you emailed me, and I, I saw it there, so I will be checking it out. Mike, I cannot wait to get your, your opinion. This is from a video clip that Mike sent over a year ago. He sent it to me. He was doing a brief ghost app uh, session. It's not, yeah. this, it's not about what you hear. It's about what you right. see. In this video, um, uh, one Patreon member, uh, Adam, Adam Kelly, thank you so much. He already mm-hmm. commented on what he saw and he, and he quote unquote said creepy. So Mike, I want you, you to Adam. go watch that. You can see something. Yes. This was recorded immediately after Mike, um, saw what he thought was a shadow person in the kitchen mm-hmm. of his house. He started filming. Something shows up on the reflection, reflective screen of your TV. Bottom left. And it's corner. moving. It's moving. It's moving. On the TV. Okay. It's mo- I, I even sh- I showed Bridget and she even was like, "Wow." <laughs> um, hmm. I want your thoughts. So yes, I will give you my thoughts. Thank you so much, buddy. Thank you everyone for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, go find Roger Patterson's book. Go find Jeff Meldrum's book. You will not be disappointed, and you'll feel very, very smart. So um, <laughs> you'll be educated and bit. taught like we were when yes. we were talking to Mister Meldrum. And since I didn't upload my. Um, my inspector camp um <laughs> sound clip i will say it everybody until we meet again